This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, listeners, for spending another 30 minutes of your precious time with us as we talk about the issues of politics in America. And today, we will talk about the voting rights controversy going on through the country with Bill Cowles, the supervisor election of Orange County, Florida. Hi, Bill. Good morning. Hey, well, we had you on a little bit after the election, uh, which was, you know, just incredibly controversial. There was a lot of accusations of uh, voter fraud, none of the evidence rising or coming forth that that was the case. Even uh, Senator Graham of South Carolina, who was a big uh, Donald Trump supporter, stood on the Senate floor and said, hey, somebody give me 10 examples of voter fraud in America. And then he said, actually, just give me one. And no one could provide it. We had the recount in Arizona, which didn't show anything. But now we're into a whole nother realm. A lot of the states and their Republican led are passing voting rights laws um, that the Democrats say is boxing out minorities and they're they're intended to reduce the vote vote of minorities, which were the segment that actually carried Joe Biden uh, to the presidency in Georgia, Philadelphia and Detroit. Uh, African-American votes um, really pushed Biden over. So we've actually had that here in Florida. Um, talk a little bit about um, Governor DeSantis's, uh, the, you know, the, the vote that, uh, voting law that they proved here in Florida. Yeah, and here in Florida, they uh, took and pretty much attacked the election code uh, in about four major areas. And in each one of those areas, you could see where uh, the emphasis was on clamping down on the Democratic uh, potential voters uh, in this state and minorities as well. Um, obviously, the first one is this time. The presidential election of 2020 was the first time that early voting and vote by mail surpassed the 50 percent mark and was actually uh, pushed voting on Election Day. Uh, to its lowest point that the state's seen uh, in a long time. And so uh, Republicans believe that their strength is on election day. And so from that standpoint, they've got to make changes related to the vote by mail and early voting process. So uh, first thing they did is they cut the vote by mail request process to where when you requested one, it was good for two federal elections. They cut it back to where it's only good until the next general election. And uh, so then they put they started out with some really strong uh, changes in terms of how you could return the ballot and all the documents that you would have to sign to prove who you are and when and how you dropped it off. But they backed off on that and they left it to be that nobody could return more than two ballots for somebody other than themselves or their immediate family. So those were the cutbacks there. Uh, the other cutback was in the um, early voting and they put a lot of restrictions because the drop boxes became very popular. And I think throughout all this discussion about 2020 is you have to look at whether how much of it was pandemic, how much of it was politics uh, involved. But 
the drop boxes uh, was a very uh, highly used method, partly because the then president of the United States up for re-election was telling everybody don't trust the postal system. So it drove voters to want to make sure their ballot was turned in secure at the drop boxes. So they now have put uh, no solicitation zones around the drop boxes. They, in essence, lock down when the drop boxes can be out. Uh, and if you have them out after early voting hours, you have to have full security cameras or sheriff deputies or staff monitoring them. Uh, so the drop boxes, which affects the vote by mail. And they also, uh, at early voting, the no solicitation zone, uh, they reemphasize that they believe people are going in and handing out stuff. So they strengthen that policy. And then they clamp down on the third party voter registration group. So uh, in all, these were things that they did, but these are the same things that you're hearing happening in other states. And just like other states right now, Florida has four federal lawsuits uh, that have been filed concerning uh, this legislation. So it is interesting. So we got Arizona, we got Georgia, which was probably the first state. Texas is now fighting over it. The Republicans trying to push something through to the Democrats successfully blocking it. And it's really been um, kind of a, a back and forth on that. What does this do for how you administer an election? Well, we're still waiting. And this is the interesting part about it is that this uh, piece of legislation was passed in Florida. And then when the legislative session ended, the governor signed it on May the 6th. And normally we have until July to learn and to prepare about the changes. But instead, this law became effective immediately. And a lot of that happened here in Florida because of the passing of Congressman Alcee Hastings. And it also had to do with the upcoming election for the congressional seat. And uh, they also expect that as many as five state representatives or state senators can uh, res will resign to run for the congressional seat. And as part of the legislation, they made it where the governor uh, is the one who has to set the election dates and also fill vacancies that come behind that doesn't require an election. Uh, so this this thing has all been politics and it's all been orchestrated uh, basically right now because of the congressional one. But we will begin to see the effects for the 2022 elections. And uh, we're all still feeling our way through and also waiting to see what the court does on these four federal lawsuits uh, that uh, will they change how we are supposed to proceed. So it's interesting because, um, you know, the election system is supposed to be pretty standard and, and you know, in America, very uh, sacred. But it just seems like a lot of politics are being injected into this. And, you know, Governor DeSantis is probably the most known maybe after Matt Getz, the most known Donald Trump disciple. Um, he is being talked about as the 2024 presidential candidate for the Republicans if Donald Trump does not run. Um, and um, how, how is it for you to see, you know, politics affecting the way that you administer, as I said, something that's pretty sacred and, and should be fairly standard? Uh, the scrutiny on the election process 
uh, is uh, at the all-time high. Uh, and we've got uh, the situation where we're in Orange County, we're a very Democratic-based uh, uh, county uh, with nonpartisan being second and Republican being three, number three. So unlike um, this uh, red uh, counties around here, the scrutiny and the people who still believe in the big lie, uh, those who have not yet accepted it are still challenging it. Uh, just today, uh, one of the supervisors uh, got a public records request and wants to know what the political party affiliation is for all of the employees in the elections office, because if she finds out that it's all one party, uh, she's going to make a stink. So. You know, there, people are just continuing to not have accepted the outcome. They're still looking for, uh, as you said, the senator's question on the floor, give me an example, and people can't find those examples. But uh, it's become mean-spirited. Uh, it's not where there's people in the middle who can work out issues and all. It's all to the extremes. And uh, it's very challenging because you are being challenged with every decision you make as to who you're benefiting on that one. Wow, very fascinating. So it was very interesting yesterday because uh, President Biden um, was really angry and, uh, and said, hey, these laws are the biggest test of our democracy since the Civil War. Um, I kind of looked at that as a little hyperbole. I mean, there's been a lot of things that have happened since the Civil War. What did you think of those comments? Well, I think he's in a situation where obviously we know that he won and there is still a huge segment of this country that do not believe that he did win the big lie. Uh, and so he's in that situation where he proposed legislation to bring in some federal oversight, which is, again, one of those challenges even to the uh, Constitution and the way the elections is set up in terms that uh, state rights on determining how the elections are conducted and the issue of do you want federal oversight on it. So he hasn't been able to get his election reform uh, movement uh, through the Congress. And so I think part of his frustration, but he's trying to ease uh, the situation. And so I think that's where those comments in uh, Pennsylvania uh, was his way to try to bring us back uh, more towards uh, a little bit better agreement on uh, how elections go and make it fair for all. It's very interesting because um, there's been a lot of election supervisors, a lot of election workers who are retiring or resigning because of these challenges that are facing you and other people who administer the elections. I think we talked a little bit um, where you said that's really not happening in Florida, but you've you've served on federal oversight election boards. Um, are you seeing that across the country? Oh, yeah. Every Every week, there's another story about somebody who's retiring, and it's all right back to um, the political climate uh, in the work environment. And I think for the listeners to understand, in Florida, the supervisors of elections are elected uh, by the uh, voters of the county, and we don't directly report to the Secretary of State, but the Secretary of State is the chief election official at the state level. 
And in Florida, the Secretary of State is appointed by the governor. Uh, so really, they're an employee of the governor's office and takes directions from the governor. So that's where you see uh, where the stance is at the state level in Florida uh, with an appointed secretary. But across the country, there are those who there are election uh, boards who are either appointed or elected to oversee the elections director in a county or the election director is a employee of the county or municipality area and their jobs are more than being elections they only do elections part-time so i mean just recently the best example was there's a um, election administrator in another state she wanted to reward her poll workers for their showing up mm -hmm. during the pandemic mm -hmm. to work the polls and all and so she gave them a bonus uh for uh having worked the elections and she used the care grant money for it and uh, now the uh, election uh, board there uh says that she's violated the law she's going to be charged for misuse of the money and so she just said forget this i'm retiring and this is really, I mean, as you explained it, it's really disrupted. I mean, it's almost been a ripple uh, throughout the country. It's really disrupted or at least thrown the way we've done elections for so many years in disarray, do you think? Well, I mean, the irony is that the 2020 election was the highest turnout election in our country. Again, a very uh, competitive uh, presidential race but it also was also with the issues with the pandemic. And as an election administrator who is trying to figure out how to run the election in 2022, we're trying to figure out what the norm is gonna be. Obviously in 2022, there's no presidential, but with the pandemic gone, and then this discourse, political discourse, our voters lost their trust in the process and will turn out plummet. Yes, and uh, we were talking, and, and you're keeping an eye, obviously, on a lot of these legal cases. We recently had a Supreme Court case, so Democrats and voting rights group had challenged um, some of these laws, some of these state laws, and these changes um, to the Voting, voting Rights Act, uh, which um, they said they had the right to do that because these were discriminating against certain people, particularly African-Americans. And um, how did you see that ruling and, and how does that affect this whole situation, do you think? Well, I think one of the things that we might have to look at is how politics has played a part in our courts with the appointment process and how the courts look. And so in many cases, I fully expect that many of these lawsuits uh, that are representing the minority uh, communities are going to go up against a very uh, Republican appointed uh, uh, judgeships and the judiciary, judiciary yeah. and they're going to, you know, you're going to get the outcomes that you just mentioned with the Supreme Court one. Um, in Iraq, here in Florida, the appeal process goes to Atlanta, and there are several people on the Atlanta uh, board that will make decisions on an appeal who are judges in our Supreme Court already. So uh, I think this is going to be very challenging to see uh, many of these lawsuits uh, get accepted. 
So it's really interesting because I think the American voting process has always been held up in the world as uh, one of the best, if not the best. And all these kind of domino effects is is kind of making us creep towards a third world country. I mean, if every election is being challenged for politics and there's allegations of uh, stealing, when you look at our election process, um, is it going to be harmed is it going to be in disrepair no i think for um for us election administrators it's going to be very challenging to have to make sure that the voters in our jurisdictions are well informed understand the process and do the best we can to tell them that it is a fair uh process and um, we were talking about federal uh, action. There's a bill in the Senate uh, that was approved in the House that would kind of set those federal standards on these elections. And it's supported very heavily by the Democrats. It's supported by the, supported by the president. But the feeling is once it gets to the Senate, which is, uh, you know, you need 60 votes to break a filibuster to... Democrats hold a basically 51 to 50 um, edge because Kamala Harris, the vice president, a Democrat, would get to vote, uh, cast the final vote if it broke down 50-50. So there's people saying, hey, we need the president to support breaking the filibuster rule, which would then give the Democrats a 51-50 ability. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's an interesting strategy that uh, I'm sure the president is weighing uh, what the effect would be if he did it in this situation uh, compared to what it might be during his presidency uh, on it. And I think the other part, too, is kind of goes back to something I mentioned earlier, is that I think even if it does pass, I think then you're going to start seeing states suing the federal government because of the interference of the federal mandating the election process versus the vote, the rights of the states to determine the method and prop, the laws for the election process in their state. So that will probably set up another whole legal battle that will eventually go probably to the Supreme Court. And you mentioned, I mean, that's a constitutional question, right? There's always been from the founding fathers, there's always been a debate between states' rights and federal rights. And, um, you know, for, and you're right, states would challenge this. But that's part of the issue that came up in the uh, November election is that every state has different rules about how they do things, how they count absentees, how every voting works. Sometimes, and I think Florida's gotten better and more unified. But sometimes it changes within the counties. So, but you're right. I mean, this could throw. I've never been a fan of breaking the filibuster only because um, whoever's in power is the one that says, let's break the filibuster. So, you know, when the Republicans were in power, the Democrats said, let's break the filibuster. When the Democrats are in power, they say, let's break the filibuster because they want the edge. Right. But I mean, I, I don't like the filibuster. I think it should be a straight straight vote, but um, I don't support, you know, the power saying, oh, let's change it, that kind of thing. You just had a federal election, I mean, a federal convention of elected, I'm sorry, and a national convention of election officials here in Orlando. What came out of that or what did you hear um, about, you know, what's going on right now at that convention? Well, I think uh, you're referring to our state association conference that was held in Tampa, uh, uh at the end of May, 
Um, and, this, and the issue here was we looked to our state elections uh, staff for implementation of these laws that were passed and signed by the governor in early May. And the, the uh, answer to almost every question we asked was, that's a good question. And once we figure it out, we'll let you know. Uh, so this is. <laughs> we'll get so, back to you. <laughs> so so it, it, it goes back to that point I made earlier that the governor signed the bill, but normally a bill doesn't go into effect until July. And then that gives everybody a chance to figure out. And uh, that's where they got caught having to talk to us early. So basically, uh, the 67 supervisors in Florida left very disappointed because we had no answers. Uh, so uh, we'll wait and see. What were some of the questions? What were some of the, the information that they sought? One of the things in the bill was about poll watchers. We've heard this issue across the country about poll watchers having more access at the polling place, more access to the signature verification, uh, more access to uh, the ballot duplication process. And so from that standpoint, uh, what is, what is accessible? I mean, what, what is the, where's the line between interfering in the process and being able to observe the process? Um, uh, and what's a reasonable accommodation? That's the words that's in the alleged, in the legislation, reasonable accommodation. And finally, they just said, well, reasonable accommodation will be whatever your county canvassing board, which is a county judge, a county commissioner, and the supervisor of elections, says it is. So right off the bat, you're back to 67 different counties having a different interpretation of what is accessible access. And that's interesting because the poll worker issue was very big in the November election. The Republicans, the conservatives were saying, hey, we didn't have the right access to watch these votes be counted. And that was one of their arguments for it being an unfair election. I remember in Philadelphia, in my hometown, it was just a major issue. It was national news because these people said they couldn't see it and they were let in and see. And um, the whole poll worker issue had really not been a big one, I think. And and you may say, you know, you, you, you know better, but I don't think it was a super big one. Um, but now it has become a big one, hasn't it? Yes. Um, you know, the, the key words there, you know, poll workers are the ones who work the polls and work with the voters as they come in. And in the year of the pandemic, it was very challenging to come and make sure that we were fully staffed. On the other hand, the poll watcher which is usually appointed by the political committee uh, or the political party or by the candidate, um, they were very vocal about being able to have more access and to see the process. But also many of the stories we've heard from across the country is because they don't know what the process is, which is one of those ironies, poll workers have to come to poll worker training and be trained before they can work. But anybody can be a poll watcher with no training, no experience. And also here in Florida, we get a lot of poll watchers who come from another state and they come here with the rules of that state and they then challenge us that we're not doing it right. And then we have to educate them on the 
laws of Florida elections. And so it gets very challenging or if they're observing and they see something, they run to the media and say, oh, I saw them put these ballots in a box and moved it someplace. You know, <laughs> I remember that. That's, you know, that was the Philadelphia argument. Right. So, what you know, again, uh, again, it's about the process, you know, or uh, the woman took took and uh, left the table. Where does she go? Uh, well, she went to the bathroom or she they took a break. You know? Yes. And um, so as you look forward and as you say there's a lot of things up in the air but what do you see shaking out what do you see let's say the next presidential election what do you see the system being that's a good question that i think a lot of it will depend on how our midterm elections go in 2022 and then as you alluded to it depends on what the who the party candidates are for president in uh, 2024, and particularly we know that the battle will be over on the Republican side, which does put a lot of spotlight on Florida since the former president lives in Florida and the current governor wants to be the next president. Uh, So it'll set Florida up to be another battleground state. So this is not over by a long shot. Oh, no, you can just, you know, it just keeps going from one election to the next because in 2022, Governor DeSantis is running for re-election, and then that would set up 2024 uh, for presidential, but it also would require him to resign as governor if he gets elected, and then that also is playing part of the 2022 politics about who's positioning themselves uh, in case he does do that. Yeah, unbelievable. Well, thank you, sir. It's always great having you on. You are so knowledgeable about voting rights and voting process. And uh, we always appreciate you having on. And um, I think you give the listeners a very, very uh, well-rounded assessment of what's happening out there. So we appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. My pleasure. We want to thank our technical producer, Brad Maybe the Wizard of Pods, our executive producer, Mike Gugat. Our announcer, Dave, and our contributing voice talent, John, the one take turns the voice over Tampa Bay. And we will be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.